we all want to know the secret sauce to selling more online. And as we're trying to figure this out, we make a lot of mistakes. We do a lot of dumb things. And frankly, nobody starts off with immediate successes. The way that I have found to become more impactful and more successful in business is learn from the people that have done it before me. Our guests today are going to talk about acquiring customers that we may have forgotten about. I'll explain what that is. But just to give a little bit of credibility, these guys have launched 53 brands online. They've sold 17 of them, and they have done over $150 million in sales since 2014. A lot of information to be shared in this episode. Listen to the end. It's going to be a good one, and here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan, and at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock, in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the AMPM Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Jordan, and today, of course, we are talking about all things e-commerce. Now, when I think about the typical selling journey, selling a product online, I think about trying to get that customer to look at my product, come to my webpage, come to my Amazon listing, whatever it is, make the decision to purchase it. They finally purchase it, it gets shipped, and 30 days later, they haven't returned the product. (sighs) Giant sigh of relief. I'm done. I've accomplished my mission and sold that product, and now it's time to go out and find another client. What I'm starting to learn now is I've been doing things all wrong. If I start analyzing the cost of acquisition for a customer and it's going up and the lifetime value of our customer hasn't gone up as well, we become less profitable. So in addition to some things like trying to reduce our cost of product and trying to reduce our acquisition cost, one of the best ways to increase your profitability for your business and to create stability for your business is to make sure that you have a plan in place to continue engaging with or acquiring that customer after your sale, regardless of the platform or the marketplace that you're using. So today we have Sean Hart, we have Seth Stevens that have a lot of experience in this matter and they're going to be sharing really some cool stuff. I was actually going through uh, with them before we hit recording and and learned some stuff just in like the pre-podcast interview and, uh, and it's going to be good. Now, when I started off this interview, guys, I was talking about you guys creating 53 brands, selling 17 of them, done over $150 million in sales. But the majority of your experience isn't necessarily even in just selling products. It's a lot of digital marketing in general, right? So if you guys would say hello and, uh, and let's answer that question. Where did you guys come from and how did you get started in this crazy world? All right. Great, great, great question, Tim. Thank you for the introduction there. Uh, my name is Sean Hart. I'm from central Indiana. Just happened to be the exact same small town that Seth is from, although we didn't know each other uh, until after we were both uh, well into adults. And uh, Seth actually came and worked for me as an intern when he was in college in my marketing company. So a couple of years after I sold that business, Seth re-engaged me and we decided to join in business together in early 2014 now, in Seth, e-commerce. was that a good decision or do you still sometimes regret it? <laughs> you know, every night you got to wonder, Tim, but yeah, <laughs> overall, it was a great, it was a great decision. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah. So basically, Tim, what, what we discovered was that the initial sale that we make where we convert our value for our customers' dollars is just the beginning of what should be and could be a long and prosperous and profitable relationship. So we're all about 
making, not only bringing new customers into our funnel, but more importantly, making each customer more valuable and keeping them around longer. So yeah, Sean. So when I came and worked for you in as an intern in college, w- the one thing that I noticed was, you know, being in your marketing department, I got to see how you were generating sales. And one thing that stuck out to me was you paid a huge amount of attention to the customers that you had already served one time and you would sell them more of the same. So just like what you were saying, when we would re-engage those customers using old-fashioned marketing like postcards and newspaper ads and things like that, we were able to generate sales from the exact same type of customers. Um, And then we were able to use that same type of strategy when we branched off and started building brands online. Now, Seth, I'm not calling you old, but (laughs) we know that you guys started really selling on Amazon in about 2014. And I suspect your internship was well before then. So the stuff you're talking about with re-engaging existing buyer stuff, this is pre-Amazon stuff. This is like just traditional good business marketing, right? Right. So I was in college in 2010, 2011, working in Sean's marketing department, selling heaters of all things. And we were using postcards back then, but um, I go on and do a a different career and, and then have this fateful conversation with Sean one day, Hey, I'd like to do something more along the lines of, of, of what you were doing and building a real business. So we get together in 2014 to start building brands on Amazon and the world's a little different, but the, the fundamental marketing aspect of it is the same of taking care of your customers, nurturing them, and then following up with them to make more sales and generate more revenue, Sean. Absolutely. So, Tim, I think uh, what Seth is getting as the thing that really set us apart is that unbeknownst to us, we assumed that all e-commerce sellers were putting an effort into building a relationship. But we started right out of the gate because in my previous business, which Seth interned in, we depended on the ability to create what we call back end sales. So we started on Amazon. It was just a no brainer. That's how we began. And it, it took us a, almost a couple of years before we realized what an enormous advantage that was given us over our competitors. And I started selling in about 2015 and nobody talked about this. Like the only thing that people talked about when it came to a post purchase experience was what are the terms of service for reaching out to these people? Like, can we ask them for a review? Can we try to get them to uh, to give us this five-star review? Or are we even allowed to use these addresses for anything? So like, I think that the industry was thinking very small. We were thinking about, you know, the bubble of Amazon and what we're allowed to do, where you guys came in with some different experience in traditional marketing. And you probably saw Amazon as a sales channel, not the be-all, end-all. And we're using those traditional practices within Amazon. And I, uh, it's curious, you just said that nobody else is really talking about this and it shocked you that nobody was because you thought this was standard. And this may have had something to do with your um, probably abnormally large number of sales revenue and success on Amazon. You think so? I do. And, and if I recall right, Tim, the very first year out, Seth was putting in sweat equity while he was still working in his cubicle uh, for his uh, post, post-college job. And so he put in sweat equity the first year while I actually put in equity in the form of inventory. And then after that first year, we did about $3 million in sales the first year. So in January of 2015, we sat out to do 50 million after we put together our, our think tank of our trusted confidants. And what we realized early on, and this may shock you, Tim, 41% of every dollar that we were selling was coming from our existing customers through our follow-up marketing, 41%. It was ridiculous, right, Seth? 
Yeah, Sean, and something that we didn't know was happening was these third-party platforms like Walmart.com and Amazon.com specifically, um, they were rewarding us when we were sending that traffic through email and text marketing back to our listings, they were rewarding us with more keyword ranking. So we didn't know it, Tim, but every time we sent an email, we would generate sales and generate conversion but Amazon was moving us up in the search results page and Walmart does the same thing. So not only did we take those same direct response concepts from the heater business, like sending out a postcard where we were able to generate sales, but we were able to do it through email and text. And then the platform actually rewarded us with more sales. And that's, that's what got us to 10 million the next year in 2015, Tim. And I think that a lot of people are going to assume based on what we're talking about that this is just Amazon or this is just Walmart hacks. I understand that talking about the history of, of where you got started, it's important to, to talk about Amazon, but this is not just a platform specific method. I think that, you know, when I was talking about the, the misconception I had about my job being done after the sale, that applies to direct to consumer. It applies to affiliate marketing. It applies to nearly everything, right? Now, when you actually found that data, like 41% of your revenue or of your sales or of your profit was based on repeat purchases, right? Was all of that done in a way that was easily replicatable? Was it automated? Or was this back in the day when you were still trying to figure out, hey, it's Amazon, do we do insert cards? Do we drive people to landing pages? And then what was the decision process as far as, all right, we've acquired this audience member, this client, and we want to drive them to a purchase decision again do we drive them to Amazon or do we drive them back to a Shopify site? Like talk to me about how that strategy developed. Yeah, definitely. So when, when the 41% first came to light, it was during one of many uh, buyer calls because our entire business model was to identify a product, create an offer, leverage the Amazon platform to grow that product to what we considered mature and then sell the brand. That's why we sold 17 of these. So I remember we were on one of our very, I mean, it seemed like we had one every other day. The first business that we listed for sale, uh, the broker would bring buyer calls. So as we're going through the due diligence process of selling our first brand, it became apparent to me how excited the buyer was that we could allocate 41% of our revenue to our existing customer base. And now this buyer was looking at lots of Amazon brands, but he kept coming back to us. And so at that point right there, Seth realized that we were onto something that no one else was paying attention to. Not only were we building the list, but we were monetizing the list because so many people in e-com, Tim, as you know, are building lists, but they're not tapping into that list for ongoing revenue. It's right then and there, Seth, when we took it seriously, wasn't it? Yeah. So originally, Tim, what we had planned to do, and it's like a lot of platform sellers, they build a list or they try to capture an email address because they want to get a review because they think that gaming the system will give them an edge. Well, it may give you a short-term edge, but what we found out was those people on the other end of the transaction that nobody wants to pay attention to are, are real people that are real customers and will buy many more times. And so this is a crazy example, Tim, but we used to sell bed pillows. And I don't know about you, but I only have one for myself. We had customers after re-engaging them through email and text that bought 27 different times and 25 different times and 24 different times. So the LTV of some of our customers was massive. And people don't really consider the fact that their customers, if given the opportunity or prodded a little bit, would buy at full price a lot more from them. And then you made the point, Tim, that 
This does not only apply to platform sales. This applies to everything we've ever done. We've done coaching businesses and we've taken more than a thousand people to China and we've done membership businesses and we've done digital products. And when we go back and look at the revenue, the revenue is always between 41% and 67% comes from after the initial transaction. So you're right. It doesn't, it applies to all of the businesses we've ever done. And you mentioned something about selling your companies and these potential buyers being excited. Now, I dabble a little bit in the M&A, the, the acquisition space. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's really exciting is when you look at like a typical product business and you see the typical multiples that are offered for the profitability of the revenue of a product business. And then you look over at like a software business. And what's crazy, and one reason why so many people want to get in software right now is the software is valued as much higher, you know, mul- or at, at much higher multiples. People are willing to pay a lot more for software, and it's largely because they understand, these buyers understand, that a software company that has a subscription is really measured in MMR or, or, or MRR or monthly recurring revenue. So what they say is this is more stable. I don't have to like keep pumping gas into PPC spend to sell a product. I actually have a product here that's being sold where every month I'm swiping the credit card so the LTV is higher. And before we started recording, you talked a little bit about, and I want to dive into that now, this concept of turning a product sale into something that resembles monthly recurring revenue, which will, of course, give you more profitability, but also increase the value of your business. Yep. And a lot of folks uh, in, in our industry, unfortunately, Tim, are really selling themselves short because Seth and I, now it took me 30 years to learn uh, the importance of monthly recurring revenue. Seth fortunately learned it at a younger age, but the majority of the folks in our industry are just leaving so much money on the table. We won't look at any product, even if it's a physical product that we launch on Amazon, we won't even consider anything physical or digital unless there is a membership or continuity uh, program attached to it. Like, when, you, when it comes to monthly recurring revenue, think about your monthly uh, alarm you know, service, your monitoring service, your internet service, your cable bill, your phone bill. Basically, what this enables you to do as a seller is go make an offer and sell that customer one time and theoretically get paid forever. We won't even consider looking at something that doesn't have some sort of monthly recurring revenue. And I discovered this kind of accidentally uh, the first time I sold my first business when I was 27 years old and I was a single father at the time. So uh, not perfect, but I wanted to stay home with my daughter and be there every day she got off the school bus. So I started selling adult briefs, you know, diapers and bedpans and things like that that were billable through insurance companies. So what that enabled me to do was tap into my direct response skills to drive sales, drive phone calls inbound to my office. And we would sign someone up who may be suffering from urinary incontinence and we would sell them 150 diapers every single month for the rest of their life. And the insurance paid for it. That's when it clicked for me. I'm like, wait, monthly recurring revenue. Let's sell them once and get paid forever. Right, Seth? Yeah. And so what we've done um, a lot of times with the physical products, Tim, is you know, if you look at, you know, we used to sell weighted hula hoops. It was a product that a lot of women like to use to exercise. Well, that product is not a monthly recurring revenue product. So what we did was we actually built a membership area that was digitally delivered that our hula hoop 
buyers would opt in to enjoin for a small monthly fee where they would get fitness videos, they would get coaching. So there was a revenue component of it that was monthly recurring. And that piece of the business was a much higher profit margin because it was digitally delivered and, and replicatable. So you're right. Um, that piece of monthly recurring revenue is a massive, massive reason why we're able to grow much faster and have the success that we've been able to because without that stable cash flow, without that extra profit, we wouldn't have been able to invest into um, growing more product lines. And that was one thing I was going to ask you is, how do you take a product that someone's going to buy once and turn that into a repeatable, um, like a like a repeating purchase customer? Like, how does that happen? And you just mentioned some other ways to drive people into a different funnel, right? You can put them in a funnel for something like an app subscription or something like that. But also, I want everybody to understand that if you have a product that people are going to purchase once, you should be working on building a brand of complementary products that still fit that same avatar, right? So if I'm selling a dog collar, just because they're never going to buy that same dog collar again doesn't exclude you from the content and the advice we're giving you today. This just means that you better also have a leash and you better have some sort of puppy pads and you better have some sort of cat sweater, right? right. Because as long as you're acquiring them, you can continue to sell them different products. And a good example of that are subscription boxes, right? If I would actually get pissed if every subscription box that I got had the exact same thing in it. So what they're doing is they're grouping products that are um, probably going to be liked by the same avatar, the same person. And every purchase every month or every subscription box has different products, but they're still the same person. So if you're listening to this and going, well, I don't sell adult diapers, or I don't sell consumables. It doesn't mean this doesn't apply to you. And if you think that trying to get a subscription service for a, a weight loss app or something like that to go to your hula hoop seems a little bit out of the question, just consider the fact that as long as you have complementary products and you're continuing to sell them these different products for the same type of person, this still works. Yep. Absolutely. And I think when, when the light bulb, if you will, went off for us, we discovered our broker was smartly getting higher multiples. Now, it's a different world today, as you know, Tim, when it comes to multiples. But back in 2015, 2016, we first started selling our brands. You know, a lot of our friends were selling for two times uh, 12-month uh, uh, earnings. And we were getting three and a half, four, five times earnings. And yeah, that was huge became, back then. Yeah, it became apparent to us that the buyer was allocating a huge portion of that to our customer list. So think about this. It's not really or ever about the product that we're selling. It's not about the hula hoop or the diaper or the pizza cutter. It's about the person. And when you can discover a customer journey, like we spoke about a couple of days ago, if you can get in front of that customer's journey, because all consumers are on a different journey, maybe you're on a weight loss journey, maybe you're on a religious journey, maybe you're learning to fly or learning to uh, captain a boat, or maybe you're learning to fish without running into bridges. <clears throat> Whatever that journey is, there are certain products that became that become obvious next uh, step in that journey, no matter what that is. So if you can think about your brand in the sense of what journey is that customer on? How can I step in front of that customer's journey and siphon off a little bit of that revenue and be the go-to resource? Even when we sold treadmills back in 2015, when, when you and I indirectly met in Orlando, I launched a treadmill uh, using Facebook ads to my Shopify store. We did over a million in sales the very first month. Even with something as simple as that, we created a $5.99 continuity program that would offer updates and exercise tips and extended warranty to our treadmill buyers. 
and 60% of those buyers took the upsell. Some of those buyers are still today paying $5.99 per month for updates. That's how powerful this is, Seth. Yeah, and I think what you said, Tim, and echoing uh, your customer journey comment, Sean, about building out your brand. So to go back to the pillow example, we had a bed pillow, but you're right in the customer journey of that particular person, they were interested in getting better sleep. So we also had sheets. We also had a wedge pillow for acid reflux. We also had all these complementing products, right? That supported that particular person in their journey. And that's how we built the brand. That's how we decided the products. Because when we would send out an email about our bed pillow, we could have a follow-up email that created revenue the following month, selling them a sleep mask or selling them an acid reflux pillow. It didn't have to be the same product that they have to buy over and over. It's not about only selling supplements that people consume and then buy again. It's about supporting that one customer on their journey in whatever you're serving them in. And Seth, I, or um, um, Sean, I appreciate you bringing up the boat crash. Um, <laughs> I was reminiscing about the last time we were together, and you were thinking about two times ago that we were together. Um, for those of you that are wondering what on earth he's talking about, Sean got to be uh, kind of present when I had a little, a little <laughs> run-in with a bridge with my nice new boat, and he likes to remind <laughs> me of that. That's all right. Well, the bridge now, the last time we were actually together, Sean, was in Paris, and yeah. we were staying at a at a private castle, like a thousand year old castle, this amazing mastermind that we were at, a very high ticket, small. And you were talking about some of this stuff. And one of the things that I kept wondering was, okay, like I get it. You know, I get it, Seth and Sean, I get it. We want to acquire these customers. And I think that most people listening to this understand that there are ways to acquire them through call to actions where you get their email addresses, you get them cookied up with pixels or, or all of those things. And uh, towards the end of this podcast, we'll talk about how you can get like free information from Sean and Seth about how to actually do that. But the thing that I kept wondering was, how do you get people to actually engage, right? Like, how do you get people to actually take this product that they've purchased off Amazon? They open the box and they go, okay, in addition to this product, I'm going to actually take another step to let these people track me and acquire me and put me on their list. And you basically describe this process of having an offer that these people could not refuse. These buyers absolutely could not refuse this offer. So, you know, without getting too deep into the, the nitty gritty, which, which again, those of you listening, will have some resources for you at the end to actually get those nitty gritty details. Tell me about this concept of an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. So great point, Tim. Everybody forgets when they're in e-commerce, that the transactions that they're generating every day are serving a real person on the other end of the line. And those people are having actual feelings about what they're experiencing. So you mentioned opening up the Amazon box and then what is actually happening in the customer's mind at that point? Well, it's going to be different depending on what they actually purchased. So if they bought a pizza cutter, they're probably not going to take action on a warranty if it only costs them $9. So every single product has to be thought through. So thinking about your own product, what would your customer be thinking or wanting in the moment that they just got your product? I'll give you the example, Tim, of, of a, an insert that got our customer's attention and worked better than any other insert I've ever done. And it was about that same pillow product. Um, fortunately, it's the same product. So it was a shredded memory foam pillow. It was vacuum sealed and it was compressed like a little tiny ball. And it looked like it was going to explode. So they would open up the package and it would be vacuum sealed and it's clear and it looks like it's going to blow up in their face. So on that pillow, Tim, we actually put a sticker and it, said, it was a stop sign sticker and it said, stop, before you open this pillow, watch these important instructional videos. 
And 88% of our customers came and opted in to see these instructional videos. So they got better results. They knew how to adjust it. They knew how to actually um, put it into their um, sleeping routine in the best possible way to get better results. So we delivered value and we got the opt-in. So not only did we do a better job for the customer, but we actually got their attention and were able to capture them into our own acquisition funnel. So Sean, I know you have some thoughts around this. Well, just like you said, Seth, it's it's about delivering value. And and Tim, I think where a lot of sellers make the mistake, you approach this as what's in it for me, the seller? What can I get you to do for me? And in reality, the end user of your product doesn't really care about you or your brand or your small family company. All I care about as a consumer is what's in it for me. So if we come from a position of value and say something like, like Seth's example there, before you use this pillow, do that. What if you purchased a pizza cutter or a bedpan or a wagon wheel or a dog leash? Doesn't matter. And I said, look, before you use this product, check out this instructional video so that you can avoid the top three mistakes that some of our other buyers have made when using this product. That's not about me. That's about you. And then once we get you into that funnel, you're on our slippery slope. And then each subsequent step leads to the next obvious win for you, the customer. And then Tim, you, you're, um, the second half of your question there was about mafia offers. Sean, do you want to jump into mafia offers? Absolutely. When a mafia offer is basically an offer that the customer cannot say no to. So if I provide you with so much value, if I say, Tim, if you come here and and do this, I'm going to give you this and give you that. And I'm going to refer this and I'm going to ship you this and I'm going to give you that. I mean, once I put so much pressure on that offer, even if it is just an opt-in, if my only goal is to get you to go from the physical product into my opt-in page, if I give enough value that you can obviously see a win for you, the end user, then there's so much pressure there that you cannot say no. There is an offer out there that will even get you, Tim Jordan, to opt in on my pizza cutter. If I make it so obvious, you know, if you buy my pizza cutter and I say, (laughs) hey, look, if you opt in here with your phone number, I'll text you a, a coupon where you can go to Domino's and get a free pizza worth 15 bucks. How are you going to say no to that for a five ninety nine pizza cutter? That's a mafia offer. And when I was in Paris, one of the things that that was most shocking about some of your methods is how you can create offers to get people to opt in without actually costing you any money. I thought that was like <laughs> pure genius because a lot of people think that the only way to get a, a post-purchase reaction or post-purchase engagement is to give a really big discount or give a free product or give a warranty. And all of that stuff does work. There's value in that. But when you can actually get someone to opt in using somebody else's dime, that was pretty important. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> the other thing that you do that, that, I, that I suspect you do well when you're trying to create this engagement, in addition to just acquiring that customer and giving them an offer of something they can't refuse, is you, have, you actually have to raise the perceived value of that purchase, which will increase their, their desire to continue engaging with you because that perceived value should stretch onto that brand too. And I know Seth, before we started recording, you were talking about this crazy Tylenol example of that. Can you explain that? Yeah. So I think it pairs into what's a mafia offer and a mafia offer has to speak directly to your avatar. It has to speak to the problem that your customer is having in the moment and have a lot of value attached with it. But I'll just talk about the targeting um, first. So you don't probably realize this, but if you walked into a CVS and you're looking for a 
um, a re- relief from some pain, you might look in the Tylenol section. Well, Tylenol is there, and then you have Tylenol PM, and then you have Tylenol um, headache, and all these different Tylenols, right? But you don't really know which one's for you unless you have a specific problem. But if you go into CVS and you have a migraine, and you see Tylenol migraine sitting there on the shelf, it speaks to you. That is a mafia offer to you. What you don't really think about, though, is if you spin all those bottles around, the ingredients of the product is exactly the same. So Tylenol is calling out a specific customer at a time, not only to increase their shelf space, but also to increase their conversion in their offer to a specific type of customer. So um, Sean, I know you like to talk about how can you make a mafia offer as a tire shop if you're selling the same set of tires? What does that look like? Well, at the end of the day, we're all busy. We're all consumers. But as sellers, Tim, we all seem to make the mistake that we think we are our own customer. Well, in reality, we're not our own customer. We don't know what the customer's looking for. So we have to throw out a lot of hooks and a lot of bait. You know, there's your fishing analogy. But it's like, Tim, if you're walking through a a busy shopping mall, which I know they don't have many of those in Huntsville, but we do have one here in Mobile. and, And you heard somebody say, hey, you. Well, who cares? It's like hearing a car alarm go off. You know, no one looks. But if I said, hey, you, Tim Jordan, you're like, who is that? Who knows me here, right? And what Seth is talking about is that mafia offer has to speak to you specifically and scratch that itch that you as a consumer are experiencing along your customer journey. So what we're able to do is throw out tons of mafia offers, positioning our products on these different platforms to speak to a specific segment of any one audience. And that's how we capture the lion's share of the orders. And then that mafia offer is followed up with something that gives you so much tremendous value that you're willing to opt in with an email and or a phone number to redeem that value. You know, that's the reason why every time you go to McDonald's or a fast food place, they always say they're going to give you a free hamburger or a free value meal if you just download their app. Well, why do they want you to download the McDonald's app? It's so that they can market to you because they know they have a way to reach you right in your pocket in the most personal way possible to send you offers to increase your lifetime value. That's all we're doing. It's not magic. It's just good old fashioned marketing. And I think if you're watching this or listening to this podcast, no matter which channel you're selling on, if that channel's allowing you, like your analogy yesterday, Tim, when we were talking, if Walmart allows you to put your product in front of their customer, guess what? It's their customer. Don't treat that channel as your business. Walmart, Amazon, Rukatan, wherever you're selling, doesn't matter the platform, becomes a profitable customer acquisition channel versus just a transaction machine for you. And that's the big difference. And I also think that we as maybe solopreneurs and side hustlers and e-com folks <laughs> overcomplicate things, right? We think that the world is always progressing in a way that we always have to look at the latest, the greatest, the newest, the most tech savvy, you know, complicated thing. And I think what a lot of people, myself, and probably a lot of our listeners do is forget that just good old fashioned marketing works. And I know that a lot of your post-purchase sequencing and post-purchase actions are somewhat old school, right? It's email lists, it's SMS text messages, it's postcards, it's like physically printed things, right? Do you think that our industry is trying so hard to stay new and relevant and updated that they're forgetting that like some of the stuff that's been around for two or three decades still is just as powerful as it used to be? So Tim, predominantly right now, we use email and text marketing because we own the asset. If you build a list on Facebook, Messenger, 
you don't own anything because Facebook can turn it off. If you build a social media following, you can get your account turned off. Amazon can turn your account off at any time, but no one can take away a CSV file of your customers' emails and phone numbers. You can always, you always have an asset to engage those people. They know, like, and trust you, and you have a way to communicate with them. I can call your phone anytime, Tim, because <laughs> you're in my Rolodex, right? And that's the same thing with our real customers. And what people are missing a lot of the times is, they think that they have to be a TikTok star and a Facebook guru and be on Twitter and all these things. But really, if I can deliver a personalized message in your inbox where you're sitting, you're laying in your bed, reading your emails in the morning, and I'm speaking directly to you and it's just me and you one-on-one, I can deliver a very, very powerful marketing message right there in front of you and get tremendous results. And the best thing is I can send emails forever for almost free and communicate with those people. And I'm in control. I own the asset, which is pretty rare in today's e-commerce landscape, Sean. You know, at the end of the day, there's a real human being on the other side of that transaction. If we can interact with that person and create a mutually beneficial relationship, that will ultimately lead to more sales and higher reviews and and less uh, product returns. You know, I still have a list of over 70,000 people, Seth, from that business over a decade ago. I would bet you we should actually test this. If I send that same ugly postcard, we'll probably see a windfall of sales, you know, even if half of those addresses are no good. At the end of the day, that is an asset. That person, that name, that phone number, that physical address, that email address is an asset of your business. That is an asset that makes your business more valuable and allows you to compete in a way that the other sellers are not even thinking about. And I think that's the big difference, Tim. I agree. So as we come up to the close of time here, um, I want to do two things. One is I want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of speak to us, the audience, with kind of a last word of advice as we are thinking now about the value of gaining that audience as a long-term audience. And additionally, maybe have a point about understanding lifetime value is higher than we originally sometimes think, which means that we can actually spend a little bit more to acquire those audiences, right? A a $1 cost per click isn't that big of a deal if it turns into a customer that buys from you 10 times. Um, But first, I want to at least acknowledge to our listeners that we've talked about a lot of theory and we've talked a lot about like some overarching tactics or overarching tactics, I guess is the right word, but we haven't been able to get in like nitty gritty specifics. Now I know Sean, that you guys wrote a book called private, private label, label millionaire secrets. <laughs> and I'm not even going to pitch this book to you guys. You don't have to go out and buy it because Sean is basically giving it to you for free. So if you go to postpurchasepro.com slash AMPM, is that right? That's correct postpurchasepro.com slash AMPM. There's a digital download version. There's also like a audio version. Is that right? We'll give the PDF and the audio 100% free. 100% free where you will um, kind of be shown the actual specifics of how they get all of this stuff done. Now, of course, you're going to go through an opt-in process and you're going to be on their list, but do it because it's worth it and see how they see how they operate. Like use that as a chance to kind of see what one of these funnels looks like if you're not familiar with that yet, but never hurts to have a free book. And Post Purchase Pro is a service that essentially does a lot of this after market client acquisition for you. So when you're on the website, check that stuff out, see if it's a good fit for you. So before we sign off, I'd ask both of you to answer those questions that I just asked you a minute ago. Um, you know, drop another bomb on us before we sign off. All right. So basically, at the end of the day, it's all about 
what you're doing with the customer, right? If, if you're just focused on transactions, let's say that every day you wake up and you pray that whatever channel you're selling on, fill in the blank, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or whatever the new fangled deal is when you're watching this 10 years from now. If you're relying on that channel to send traffic to your order, then t- what you're doing, Tim, is you're waking up every single morning unemployed looking for a new job. If you're able to orchestrate a situation where you can capture some data, you're already paying for the data anyway. If you're selling on Amazon, we're paying 15 points to capture that customer information. If you can capture the right data, that becomes an asset that you can tap into over and over and over again. And I know it sounds sleazy. Let's send an email message. Let's send a text message. What I think you don't realize is that Just because you don't pull into McDonald's every single time you see the golden arches doesn't stop McDonald's from advertising to you, right? And again, that message resonates and you whip in there and you grab a, a happy meal for the kiddos after soccer practice. But not every time. What we're doing in marketing is we're attracting more eyeballs to our offers. And then once they're in our funnel, we'll convert them to sales to sales in a mature manner. Like we're not going to just say ram an offer down your throat every day. We're going to speak to you in a conversational tone. We're going to provide value to you ongoing so that we nurture the relationship because over here, post-purchase pro, we say, right, build, nurture, then profit in that order. And that's the way it has to be. We talk about all of those strategies uh, in a lot of detail in post-purchase, I'm sorry, in private label millionaire secrets, but Believe me, Tim, you don't spend the time and energy to write a book so that you can sell it for profit. That's not what it's all about. It's about the rising tide lifting all boats. There's your third boat analogy for the call. This is about (laughs) transferring to you the knowledge that's taking us collectively 40 years to accumulate, and you get all that free in this book, Seth. Yeah, and Tim, what the data shows um, from all of our uh, data point collecting and research is that the product or service that anyone is most likely to buy is the same product that they've already purchased. So if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, no one would ever buy another one of my products, you're wrong. And the data shows it. So, and, and you don't have to know the reason why somebody's going to buy more from you. It could be that they're giving a gift or they want another one for their spouse or they have a second home or an RV. It doesn't matter. The data shows that they're going to buy another one of your units again. But here's the thing. It's probably not going to be from you unless you step into that conversation. And here's the best part is once you've sold to a customer one time, you have their trust. You have already delivered for them. They owe you reciprocal, right? They feel like they've gotten more value out of the relationship with you than you've, um, you've taken because otherwise they wouldn't have given you the money. So if you can develop that relationship with a customer and actually step back into it through email and text because you own the, you own the media, you own the traffic, they're not only going to thank you, but you're going to make way more money because just to your point, Tim, is the LTV matters a lot. If I have to pay $20 to acquire a customer and my product only costs $20, that's a losing proposition. But if I sell to them um, five more times, then that situation becomes a completely different scenario. So at the end of the day, what you want to do is start building your audience. Whether you sell on Amazon, whether you sell on Walmart, whether you sell on Shopify, it doesn't matter. What you want to do is care about building your audience of real customers so you can actually engage them ongoing. Sean? Definitely. So Tim, 
it's not up to us to answer the question, will my customer buy more? It's up to us to ask the question. Let the customer speak for themselves. And I think the results will amaze you. I love it. I love that this isn't some new hacky, trendy, you know, <laughs> thing that we're talking about. It's just talking about using really just good, honest business principles in the e-commerce world that's been proven for a number of years. And you guys are still actively doing it right now and, and adding a little credibility with the backbone of $153 million in sales that you've done for yourself over the past few years. And we appreciate you sharing this information. Again, guys, go to pers- postpurchasepro.com backslash AMPM to get a free copy of their book where they're going to show you the actual nitty gritty details of everything that we talked about today. And they're hitting up a lot of e-commerce events. Um, Sean was telling me he wants to actually slow down on that, but (laughs) you guys track him down on LinkedIn or Facebook, send him a message and tell him to keep showing up to these things so that you guys can shake his hand and uh, follow what they're doing on social because there's a lot of good content they're putting out. We thank all of you for listening. If this was a good episode, make sure to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Share this around to your groups, your communities, your audiences, all of the folks that would find value in this. And we'll see all of you on the next episode. Thanks, Tim. Thanks.